Turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll give you just a moment to get there. All right, now let's remember what Peter's trying to do, who he's writing to. He's writing and he's telling how a suffering Christian should live, how a suffering believer should live. And we all fit in that category at one point or another in our lives. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're not there. If you're not there, you will be there sometime soon. So how a suffering believer should live. And he gives us five behaviors, sinful practices that a believer should put aside. And we looked at that in the first verse. We spent a lot of time there last week. Remember the five? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Uh, Janie came up with a nice little way of remembering it. She said, shed them. Wasn't that right? Shed them. So S-H-E-D, okay, S, slander, H, hypocrisy, E, envy, and then the finally D, deceit, M for malice. So you can remember that. Shed them. Those are things that should not be in our lives. And Peter labors on that. And he also tells us what we should replace them with. And we'll give more thought to that as the weeks go by. So five things that we must do. Now listen to the way one person put this, and I thought it was very interesting. Five things we must do if we want a stronger desire for God's Word. That was interesting. What kind of desire do you and I have? He's saying that if we want a stronger desire for God's Word, we need to put these five things aside. They're attitudes that can hurt us. I thought that was very interesting, the way he put that. But these are attitudes that can hurt us, they can hurt one another. And it's true that sometimes we don't get along with one another, and sometimes we can't get along with ourselves. Remember what Gandhi said? I quoted him last week when he said, I like the New Testament, and I like Christianity but I don't like Christians. Now, that's a sad testimony for God's people. One of Peter's themes is the unity of the church and the unity of God's people, and of course, the church is God's people. So we see this formula throughout the Bible, and Paul's mostly known for it, of putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on, and that's what Peter's doing here, but he's not using the same words that Paul has used, but that's the thought. Now, we started with verse 2 last week. We're going to pick it up with verse 2 again. In verse 2, Peter's telling us that he wants us to proactively go after something. He wants us to pursue. What does he want us to pursue? He wants us to go after spiritual growth. Look at verse 2. Like newborn babies, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The pure milk is what? That's God's word. Now, we're going to deal with some things today that can be some hard, some, some hard things to understand, and there are some things in the Bible known as the hard sayings, and, and we'll, we'll address a few of those as we go along. But where he's going with this is, do you want to know the hard sayings of the Bible? Do you want to know what they are? Do you want to know how to understand them? And we'll develop that minute. But do you want God's Word as it's given to us, or do you want it watered down? And there are 
a lot of churches today that are watering down God's Word. There's no doubt about that. It's true. A lot of pastors on television are watering down God's Word. Which one do you want? I found this statement. A love of God's Word has always been a mark of a true believer. A love of God's Word has always been a mark of a true believer. Listen to John chapter 8, verse 31. John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So do you want to continue in God's word? Because a love of his word, a desire for his word, is evidence of a converted soul. Now notice, it's interesting. Notice what Peter does not do. He does not tell us to read our Bibles. He doesn't tell us to study our Bibles. No. He asks us a question, what do you long for? As a believer, what do you long for today? Now, when you long for something, you're going to want it, and you're going to do it. No one's going to have to ask you to do it. And he goes on to say, by it, you will grow. So what will the milk do for us? It will help us to live in an evil world. Think about what's going on in the Middle East today. We were told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what we should be doing. But what we're seeing over there is just pure evil. There's no other word for it. It's right out of hell itself. But yet we're called to live in a world with that going on around us. So we need to strengthen ourselves with the pure milk of God's words. So the goal here with Peter is spiritual growth. And God's people need spiritual growth if you're going to face the trials and what's hitting you every day. And some of you are being hit with things that are harder than others, but they're out there. You're being hit with it. You need that growth in the pure word if you're going to stand through that storm. It's all a part of our sanctification. Now, many believers today are living a life of an immature faith. So growth is needed, no doubt, especially in times of suffering and trials. We need to be able to endure. We need to stand. So the word grow here is interesting. The word grow in verse 2 is a passive verb, which means it will grow you. It, the word of God, the pure milk of God's word will grow you. So if you take in God's word, the Holy Spirit then will use it to mature you. If you don't take it in, it's going to be a real hard test. Now, you can read books. You can go to church and listen to a, a pastor, a teacher, somebody like that, and that will help you. But you're going to grow the most by the time that you spend personally in God's word. So is there something else other than God's Word that can grow us? Many people today, churches, individuals, want to substitute something in place of God's Word. And we can't mix God's Word with the sins on this list in verse 1. We cannot mix the two. Jay Adams said, we can't be eating spiritual junk food. We can't be eating spiritual junk food, and a lot of us do from time to time. We want spiritual junk food. 
Now, Satan wants to weaken the church. There's no doubt about that. And he wants to weaken it by encouraging us to mix our redeemed new Christian life with the sins on this list found in verse 1. But some of them might think, well, it's okay, everyone's doing it, or it's God's Word plus something else. I've, I've highlighted this many times, how in the world, world of counseling, many, many counselors are mixing God's Word with the patterns of worldly counseling. I have a problem. Okay, well, what do you think is your problem? What do you think is the problem with you? What do you think you should do? I shouldn't care what I want to do. I don't know what God's Word wants me to do. Oh, it's probably your mother's fault, or maybe it's your dad's fault. Well, it may be that it was your dad's fault. But as an adult, we're all responsible now for ourselves, and we are to learn from God's Word and not be pulled back by something a parent did or, or didn't do. We, and we need to stand on the Word. To the Bible, you've heard the statement, is our only standard of faith and practice. So when Peter encourages us to desire this milk, but not just milk, pure milk. So we all must focus on the same thing. We must focus on Christ. And uh, Neil was telling me years ago about a pastor in a pulpit. He had a plaque on the pulpit right here. It said, we want to know about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And that should be the focus of anyone who's standing up here. Now, Peter walked with Jesus for three years. He, Peter knows how tall he is. He knows what color his hair is, his eyes are. He knew his words. He knew his action. And we all copy our teachers. Every one of us do that. Peter personally experienced the, the love that Jesus taught, the kindness that Jesus taught. And because Peter has grown, he can now encourage you and I to do the very same thing. He wants us to grow just like he grew. Now, in verse 3, his point here is in the middle of our problems, he wants us to review our blessings. Verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you've tasted, if you're saved, tasted means to understand how good it is. So the Holy Spirit puts a desire in us for the things of God. And the world's not going to understand that, so don't expect them to understand it. Why do we go to church? Why do we want to go to church? Why do you want to hear God's Word? There's a lot of other things you could be doing this morning. Why are you here? Why do you want to do it? Because the Holy Spirit has put that desire in you. Again, Jay Adams, watered-down teaching psychologically oriented drinks, superficial Bible studies, and pale preaching fail to give the true taste of pure milk that makes us cry out like a baby for more. That's what a believer, a believer wants that. Now in verses 4 through 8, he's dealing with the temple, and there's different types of temples that we're going to look at here. Verse 4, and coming to him. Okay, so we see two questions here. To whom is Peter referring to him? Second question, what does it mean to come to him? All right, read the end of verse 3. Tasted the kindness of the Lord. Verse 4, those who were rejected by men. So this coming is not talking about salvation. 
Verse 5, you are being built up. Draw near, be built up. So we have a part in this. We have a part. Our part is to draw near. Our part is to desire the pure milk of the word. Now, the word coming here in the Greek is intensive, but strong. Coming to him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, come unto him. So we come to him after knowing him. Now, we're to come. The veil's been torn. We're to come boldly, but we come with respect. But we also come to him as a little child, coming to a father. And Swindoll had some letters that were written by children to God, and I want to share a couple of those with you. Dear Lord, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. Hank, age seven. Dear Lord, do you ever get mad? My mother gets mad all the time, but she is only human. Yours truly, David, age eight. Dear Lord, I need a raise of my allowance. Can you have one of your angels tell my father? Thank you, David, age seven. Dear God, Charles, my cat, got run over. And if you made it happen, you have to tell me why. Harvey. Dear God, can you guess what is the biggest river of all of them? The Amazon. You ought to be able to because you made it. Ha ha, guess who? Now that we see, we laugh at that, but yet it's children, and that's the way we're supposed to go to the Father. You don't have to have all your words in the right order. You don't have to start out by praising God, then move to confession of sins. Although that's fine if you want to do it, but you don't have to do that. Just talk to the Lord. You're praying, you're just talking to your Heavenly Father. Now, Peter is writing to people who have lost hope because of persecution. They've lost their homes, they're suffering, and many of them are tempted to just give up on Christianity and and walk away. And maybe that's where you are today. But Peter gives them comfort and encouragement. He says, believer, I want you to remember who you are in God's eyes. And he said in verse 4, as coming to him as to a living stone. Now, is this a contradiction? Living stone. Stone, stone, living. Is that a contradiction? That's the way we are described sometimes. He doesn't use the word used for Peter, which is a rock. But yet when Jesus talks about Peter being a rock, he's talking about that rock being alive. He uses a different word, and he says that we we are precious in God's sight. So do you see God as your father? as your heavenly father. Now, I've talked to grown women over the years who did not have a good father, and they, they were abused by their dad, or he wasn't loving, he wasn't, he wasn't touching, he wasn't there for them, and they struggle with this idea of God as a heavenly father. Well, if you do, just read through the Gospels and, and learn of your heavenly father. That's your model. Set aside the memories of your earthly father and focus on your heavenly father and what we learn about our heavenly father in the in the bible a father is one who teaches the child how to walk how to talk how to grow up how to handle the problems of life that come up but in verse four we're coming to a stone and to god says let's read it which has been rejected by men 
choice and precious in the sight of God. Now, this should give us encouragement in our suffering. You're coming to Jesus. You're not going to Jerusalem. You're not going to a temple. You're not going to a priest. You're coming to Christ. He's talking about coming to Jesus after knowing him, not salvation, coming to him after we know him. He goes on to say, who was rejected by men. Now, I want you to picture a construction site with a large stone, and maybe the grass has grown up over it, and you've got the workers, they're running around trying to build the building, and the grass is hitting the stone, and they're walking through the grass, and they hit it, and they fall, and they stumble. That's the idea here. That's what he's talking about. The workers are stumbling over it. That's the picture that he's giving us of Jesus and how the world is stumbling over Jesus. So the unbeliever is trying to build a house without Jesus Christ as the stone. So in verse 5, you as living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. So what did a priest do? He offered up sacrifices to God for the people. He wants us now to have spiritual sacrifices that we're lifting up to the Lord. What are those spiritual sacrifices? Well, we'll talk about some of those in the meeting we're going to have today. But it it can be your voice while you're singing in church. It could be your prayer time. It could be serve, it could be taking a meal to Diane and Frank. Those are spiritual sacrifices that he wants us to lift up. A priest has access to God. So today, you don't need a sacrifice to reach the Lord. You don't have to have a middleman. You don't have to have a ritual. You don't have to have a creed. You, as a believer, can talk to the Lord anytime, anywhere, and say, Our Father, my Father. So we are stones in this building that Peter's talking about. We are priests in this new temple that's being built. Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews 10, 1 Timothy 2. So it was a privilege to serve as a priest in that day, but now we're talking about spiritual sacrifices And we find a great description of that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present what? An animal sacrifice. Present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. All the things we just talked about. When you meet someone's physical need, when you're care for someone who's hurting, when you're singing, when you're praying, when you're reading God's Word, you are worshiping the Lord and giving Him the spiritual sacrifice of your body. It's not just Sunday morning in church. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing what? Of your mind. Because that's where your battle is. Your battle's in the mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is. Now, this is Paul Peter said, prepare your mind for battle. And you better believe, the Christian life is made up of battles. And they're right there. They start in your mind. And that's why you need to put off those things. Our lips are worship. When we talk and we have a good attitude, when we could be harsh, that's worship. 
when we do good works for other people, when you give your money to a great cause, when you, when you have a skill in something and you share it with someone who doesn't have that skill. I'm not very good at computers, but I'm glad it, there are other people around me who are good at computers. When my car breaks down, I'm glad everyone's not a preacher. I'm glad God called some people to be a mechanic. Here's what Worsby said. He had the idea of a coal mine. He said a coal mine... You, you, it's, you want contact without contamination. So we have to live in this world. We have to be a part of what's going on around us. We're watching on TV what's going on in the Middle East. Now, we're not there, but there are Christians there. We were talking about it yesterday. We're watching a football game when people in the Middle East are dying. Just something doesn't seem right about that. Right? We can pray for them. We can give, but that's going on. The Lord wants us to live in this world, but not be contaminated by it. If you work in a coal mine, when you get off work, you're covered with it. You go take a shower, you wash it off, and you move on. That's what he wants us to do. We live in this world, we can be covered with it, but don't be contaminated by it. Now, the Old Testament priest would offer a sacrifice that would cover God's people from the contamination of the world. The Old Testament priest was a bridge builder. He would build a bridge to God. So Jesus is our bridge. And like an Old Testament priest now, we have an obligation to bring others to Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1 in our text, we are exiles. Don't get too comfortable here. We're outsiders here but we're living stones, meaning nothing about Christianity is dead. Chapter 1, we have a living hope, and we need to sometimes help people restore themselves to their first love. I found this quote, you are God's special building project. You. You are God's special building project right now. Not the temple. We don't need a building. We got a wonderful building here, but we don't need this building. God is inside of you. You are his special building project. So we have the idea of worship, not just on Sundays, but 24 hours a day. And by the way, worship is not entertainment. And we live in an entertainment-based culture, no doubt about that. And a lot of God's people go to church expecting to be entertained. Maybe they're not conscious of it, but they expect to be entertained. Worship is not entertainment. Worship is a people gathering to praise God. People lifting up praises. The Old Testament, they would lift up animals. We lift up praise. So not just the priests. We all do it because we're all priests today. And the doctrine of election, it's all over this book. How God chose you, so he's talking to hurting people, saying, remember, God chose you. Don't forget that. Focus on that. Now, the Bible's full of images. The church is seen as people. Here, the church is seen as stones, stones that are alive. So one of his points is that the church is a community. The church is community. Who said this? Uh, I think it was Worsby that said this. A believer not plugged into a church is a contradiction in terms. A brick is useless by itself. It becomes useful when it's connected to a building. 
And so it is with individual Christians. So God's people are supposed to be connected to a church and then serving in that church, giving in that church. And when you do not do that, or if I don't do that, the church is missing something. It's missing a brick. It's missing your talent, your ability that should be there for the whole body. Look at verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Notice, a precious cornerstone. Now, this is the answer to the question in verse 4. Peter says that salvation by faith in Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. And that takes the pressure off you. It takes the pressure off of me. When you're witnessing to someone, you don't have to have all the answers. You just tell them what the Bible says. Tell them what Christ has done for you. Well, what about this? What about that? I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says and what the Lord has done for me. You don't have to have all the answers. We see that Christ is the foundation here. All right, verse 7. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very corner stone. So believers are called living stones being built up, verse 5. And Peter gets this from Matthew chapter 16. We are all a building under construction. All of us. If I can remember this, I'm doing this by memory. I don't know if I can get it right or not, but I remember what uh, Billy Graham's wife said. It was so good. She was driving through a construction area on the highway, and at the end, there was a sign. I think it said something like, construction completed. Thank you for your patience. And she said, that's what I want on my tombstone. So she died. She's buried at the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte. If you haven't been there, go. You have to go. It's a wonderful experience. I've been three times. I would go again. She's buried there. I have not seen it, but I believe that what's on her tombstone, you've seen it? Okay, Janie's seen it. What's on her tombstone there is construction completed. Thank you for your patience. And we're all under construction, and we all need patience. And that construction will only be completed when you die and when I die. And we go to heaven. I've talked about the people that, I've, that I know and care for and love are in heaven now. I went to seminary to learn about the Bible. And they know more about it now than I do. They didn't have to go to seminary. They're with Jesus himself. Praise God for it. So we are all a building under construction. So God gave you life. And we all fit into this building called the church. And you are an important link in God's plan. And without you, something is missing in God's church. Talks about how the builders rejected him, Jesus Christ. Pull him from Isaiah 28. So this stone, this cornerstone, Jesus, can wake up an unbeliever. He woke you up. You're here because Jesus woke you up spiritually. He can wake up other unbelievers. Pray to that end. Peter's pulling from Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 8 now. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, 
and to this doom they were also appointed. So this is a picture of anyone who rejects Jesus Christ. If we believe and obey, we will not stumble. So God is putting this all together. And if we all follow the same blueprint, that's God's plan. That's God's plan for the church. Now notice a word that's used here. To this doom they were appointed. Now that's the sovereignty of God, predestination. Doom is for the unbeliever who rejects Jesus Christ. Now sovereignty has two parts. You have the elect and you have the non-elect. Romans chapter 9, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So one of the questions in theology, which is a, it is a very good question, when God, when the unbeliever does not come to Christ, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, is God active in that, or is God passive? If God is passive, then he just passes over the unbeliever, or is he active in rejecting the unbeliever? Now, both views have strong positions, but notice what Peter says. How does Peter put it? And to this doom they were also appointed. So Peter is saying that God is active in that. He's active in choosing you. And there again, if you're struggling you're re- and you're going through all kinds of serious problems in your life and you think about God chose me. He did not reject me. He chose me. That's, that should humble all of us. Now, last point, a little bit of application. I've cut it short a little bit because of our meeting today. It's our duty and it's our privilege, folks, to serve as a priest for one another. Listen to the words of James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to heaven, to the Father. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There's something about, there's a connection between healing and praying for one another and for, and for each other. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So, We all can't be a pastor. We all can't be a deacon. We all can't be an elder. But folks, all of us are called to be a priest. We're all called to be a priest. Okay, how do we do it? How do we do it, Peter? Well, he tells us right here in James 5, 16, pray for one another. Isn't that what the priests did in the Old Testament? They prayed for people. So Peter sees here the relationship of the church to the world. Now, I found a very interesting statement coming out of the NIV commentary. I'm going to read it too, because it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks as I was studying this. The NIV commentary says about Peter, he sees the primary business of the church to be concerned with itself, not in how it can counter or change the state. That just stopped me. Be concerned with itself not in how it can counter or change the state. He goes on. The main purpose of the church is to grow into a spiritual body. So Peter's saying, yes, be involved in the world. Absolutely. God gives us that responsibility. But his main concern here is internal within the church. NIV goes on. 
Christians in a non-Christian environment are not to be worried so much about changing the environment as they are to remain faithful in whatever kind of environment they find themselves. Try to change it, but don't be worried if you can't change it, or if there's not making much change, you are there to change yourself. He goes on. We don't need a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but deeper people. Peter's word, mature. We need mature people. I have one quote that I'm going to read, and then, uh, then I'll be through. I'm going to cut it short. I'm just going to read the first paragraph. I forget what commentary I got this out of. Perhaps the greatest obstacle to spiritual development today is that God's people are too busy. Think about that. In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Now, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. He majors in noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. In the development of spiritual maturity in our churches, we need to ask for time and for focus so that the noise of modern society can be eliminated to hear the glorious tones of God's word this is best done in the context of community. Now, is that not describing the typical American? Be still and know. We don't want to be still. But Bible says, if you want to know, you got to be still. Busyness, muchness. I think he's right on there. Last question. Do you see the Christian life as a duty or a privilege? Do you see the Christian life as a duty or a privilege. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you again for the words of Peter, a man who did a lot of these things wrong, but he's grown to the point where now he's, he's living the right example, and he's encouraging us to do the same thing. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to slow down, be still, and know that you are God. Thank you for your word this time, this morning, and we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.